to the Voice of HK podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Bajik-Smith, and in over a decade, I have supported hundreds of older adults to improve their well-being in late life. This podcast offers an authentic insight into aged care, practical tips, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person needs to feel heard, loved, and understood. And it is my mission to halve the depression rates in Australian aged care facilities by 2022. Today with me, I've got my dear friend, Jenny Cole-Virtue. Jenny is a speech pathologist and she's worked in the area of aged care for a very long time. Hello, Jenny. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Hi, Julie. Thanks for asking me. I wanted you to tell our audience a little bit more about speech pathology. What is it exactly that you do and how do you help those who are in aged care facilities? Well, speech pathology in the aged care setting a lot of the work that we do is with feeding and swallowing. And the most important part of that is to look at risks and really it's assessing risk and ensuring that people are safe when they're feeding and they're swallowing. So that's both for food and for fluid. So that takes up a lot of my time when I'm working in aged care. Um, But there's also aspects of speech pathology that are looking at communication. And so particularly in dementia, that's important. Um, So looking how people are engaging, um, how they're comprehending and how they're expressing. So that might also cover people who've had strokes, who have um, neurological disorders, multiple sclerosis, motor neuron disease, um, Parkinson's disease. Um, But the majority of the work um, that I do, I would have to say, is feeding and swallowing. That sounds so interesting, Jenny. So how do um, facilities engage your services? Does that mean that everyone who's had a stroke and comes in has an assessment or how is determined who needs an assessment by a speech pathologist? Well, in terms of the feeding and swallowing, what usually happens is that the RN would do um, an initial assessment. So I think that's generally called the SIP test. So they would have a look at the person and see how they're managing with their food and their drink. And if they observed a problem, then you would hope that they would be then referring on to speech pathology. Oh, right. Okay. So the initial assessment is done by the RN. And if there's problems, then you would come in and step in and deliver your services. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, Some facilities um, only have a speech pathologist that comes in every so many weeks or maybe whenever it's needed. Um, I'm quite lucky that some of my facilities have me there on a regular basis, um, which allows me then to obviously provide a a more frequent service. But it does vary. It varies upon where you are in the state or um, your geography. Maybe that your nearest speech pathologist is quite a way away. Um, So this, this does vary enormously. That sounds so interesting. So in terms of delivering services, you, you see people one-on-one, but do you also do some consultation with families or staff education? What, what does your workload look like? Um, well, it's very varied, actually, which is one of the reasons that I really enjoy it. Um, obviously, the consultations for um, feeding and swallowing tend to be one-on-one. But I really encourage families to attend if they're able to. So they understand 
um, what we're doing and why it's so important maybe to modify food or fluid um, and that they understand, um, you know, about the type of food and drink that that person may need. Um, the other thing that uh, is important is also for the staff to understand exactly uh, what we're doing. So I do a lot of education with staff, uh, not just the nursing staff, uh, but also the staff in the kitchen and in the servery, because they're a very important part of the team when it comes to managing swallowing or dysphagia um, to, to manage those problems for the client. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is dysphagia? So dysphagia is um, a medical term that refers to difficulty with swallowing. So if we have muscles of the tongue um, or the palate um, or the throat or the reflex itself that contributes to swallowing that, aren't, that is weak, impaired or um, delayed or uncoordinated, then that can mean that food or fluid may go the wrong way into somebody's lungs rather than into their uh, esophagus towards their stomach. And this can cause a very nasty chest infection called aspiration pneumonia. Um, And this can be fatal. Now, it can also result in choking, um, which obviously is blockage of the airway. So it's really very important that um, staff um, are aware of what is safe for that person to eat or drink. Do you have, um, you know, a success story where things have gone good, that, we, that, you know, there was no choking and the person was okay? Uh, look, I, haven't, I have to say that choking is not common. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, look, I think that there's lots of success stories where, um, for example, let's, let's give you a scenario that's quite common. Uh, um, a scenario might be that maybe someone has become confused um, maybe they've had a urinary tract infection. They've become quite confused. Maybe they've become a bit septic. So then they are uh, often ex- uh, admitted to hospital. They may be seen by the speech pathologist in the hospital and their diet or their fluids may be uh, modified, uh, thickened or downgraded um, And because they were confused at that particular time. They come back to the residential age, age care facility um, and they're getting better at this point. So then they're reassessed um, and, in fact, they're able then to go back to their baseline diet. So that's quite a common scenario. So if that person was not reassessed when they came back to the residential aged care facility, maybe they wouldn't be put back on their baseline diet. So that's important. Those people are seen when they come back from hospital. So that's, that's always a positive outcome. And that happens reasonably frequently. Oh, that's great. So it means that they could have more variety in their food um, and textures that than they perhaps have on the paperwork. Well, that's, that's correct. Um, and in fact, some of the aged care facilities I work at, I have an agreement with them now that we review on a regular basis so that we don't have people who are on uh, modified textures or modified fluids for longer than they need to be. So the aim should be to get these people back to um, the best uh, food and fluid textures that they can possibly manage safely. Mm, that's that's really important. So, how often, like, how would you implement that in terms of, you know, ensuring that the facilities have you? Do you, you know, is there a follow up in terms of you review someone, everyone who's come back from hospital, or what processes would they have in place to ensure that, you know? Um, yeah, I, I understand. Um, look, I that does vary between facilities. I would have to make that comment. Um, I personally like the staff to tell me when someone has come back from hospital 
um, particularly if they have been seen by a speech pathologist as an inpatient. Um, we do have the scenario sometimes where uh, clients have been seen as an inpatient and the nursing staff in the hospital have changed the diet and fluids. Um, so when they come back, I do like to be just notified uh, to make sure changes haven't been made that perhaps could be reassessed. Um, just so we don't get that situation where people are sitting on the wrong diets and the wrong fluids for longer than needs be. Um, so I think I've probably got those policies <laughs> in mm. place at places I go to, uh, but I obviously can't speak for other facilities. But it is a good idea to have those people reviewed uh, and reviewed um, on a regular basis, or certainly until they are stable um, or until you feel that their progress may be um, optimal. And are there times in the year, Jenny, where you seem to have more work? Like, is there more work around Christmas time and when people want to go, you know, and have time with their families or is there more risks at that time or does it tend to vary across the year? I would say there's possibly more work in the winter when we have um, the flu mm -hmm. for this time of year um, where people are often getting chest, chest issues. So often um, staff are very obviously concerned about coughing and seeing coughing as a potential sign of swallowing issues, which often it can be. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes coughing can be because of an community-acquired issue. Mm. Um, this is where I've worked quite closely with the nurse practitioners mm -hmm. uh, for us to say, okay, you know, is this something to do with the swallow? If I've seen, had done an assessment and it looks like the swallow actually is, is stable um, and the coughing may be the result of something else. So I think... I would say that we are probably uh, busier with queries around this time of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we certainly do get queries from families asking, I'd like to take mum home for Christmas lunch. You know, what, what could I give her that would be safe? Mm -hmm. um, and very happy to provide um, advice um, or suggestions on the ways that um, texture could be modified in the home environment. Okay, great. And so would it be often that the family would ask you for tips if they were taking their loved one out? Yes, quite frequently, quite frequently. Um, sometimes um, they, I think, don't realise that I am available for them to ask. Um, but I do try and make it known through the staff that I'm just a phone call away. That's mm -hmm. how I operate my business, is that people can contact me pretty much at any time. Um, and if I can't talk to them at that particular moment, I'll make sure that I do contact them um, so that they're able to ask those questions. So the families would be able to contact you directly without going through the facility? Yes, they can do. Well, that's great. So I just wanted to touch with you very briefly um, on the topic of death and dying, because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, in aged care facilities, you have people who come in with very high functioning and those who decline over time and just you know, what is the role of speech pathologists when the person is in palliative care? Um, I think we have a, a big role to play in, in palliative care. Um, I think it's important for speech pathology to be involved to determine um, the status of that swallow. Um, often I get called in when people have been having trouble with eliciting a swallow. Mm -hmm. And it may have been that that's actually been going on for a, a, a little bit of time. And it may be the speech pathologist who comes in and says, look, this swallow doesn't appear to be functional. It's not really adequate for their nutrition. And sometimes it takes that uh, information 
Um, then for staff to say, well, we need to get the Powell care team in um, or we need to contact the GP. And that is almost like the catalyst for potentially other palliative systems to go into place. Maybe, you know, comfort and care feeding. Um, that's not my job to say that. But then there are other systems that come into place to support that person. Um, and I think it also depends whether that person has an advanced care directive, what the family wants at that time. It's a good time then for everybody to be meeting and thinking about what the directions for care are. Um, but certainly I've had um, instances where, um, for example, a family where there was a family of doctors and really they were insistent that somebody come in and test that swallow to say, is this swallow working or not? And once an assessment had been done that said, this swallow really isn't working they were actually very happy then to go down that palliative care route okay so it i think it's very important that we are involved during that time and are part of that team absolutely absolutely and this is something again that would be arranged by the facility uh yes yes okay okay so they would get you involved and so if it's in relation to palliative care you might do more than one visit or is there you know a pattern to how many consultations you do or how do you go about that? Um, I, it's usually as needed. Um, I mean, certainly um, if comfort and care feeding has been um, instigated, um, then it may be that um, there is still some consultation going on with the speech pathologist as to texture. So, for example, um, a, a recent uh, case that I was involved with, um, we had to modify the puree texture um, because, in fact, the lady couldn't manage it um, as it would normally be presented because it was too thick and too heavy for her. Mm -hmm. um, so even though by uh, making it slightly thinner, um, it was perhaps more likely that she may um, lose control of it, uh, she was actually more comfortable with it being slightly thinner. That makes sense. Yep. Um, so I was part of, of the team that were... Um, trying to find a way this lady could um, have her wishes met, which was to still have some oral intake despite the risk um, right. that she was actually quite well aware of. This is a lady who had Parkinson's disease. Okay, right. And so today is, um, you know, it's July now, so the new standards have only come in and mm -hmm. the promotion of you know, risk-taking behaviours and documenting it seems to be more, you know, on everyone's lips in aged care. So what yep. does that mean for, for speech pathologists and your recommendations? So say if someone needs thickened fluids and they, you know, they, they refuse to have them or they insist on drinking just normal type of fluids, what does that mean um, now as opposed to what it meant under the old standards? Look, I think it's changed the language. It's changed more than the language, but I think it's changed the language certainly because we used to um, certainly use words like non-compliant. Um, and I think it's great that we're not using that anymore. What we're talking about now is a quality of life choice, um, which is a very positive um, approach to it. So um, I would certainly be supporting um, positive um, choices like that. So the way that... Um, I, I like to handle that is obviously to have discussion with the family, with the staff, for us to be very, very clear if there is um, risk documentation that the facility have that they like to fill out, that we have that documented. Um, we have foods listed and that they are documented in progress notes um, and that the speech pathologist is aware that those um, decisions have been taken and that that documentation is in place. Um, and also I usually document down 
additional steps that staff may be able to take to support that person's uh, choice uh, in terms of keeping them as safe as possible on the textures that they have in fact um, chosen to have as part of that quality of life choice. So if, if they choose not to have thickened fluids, as long as that's documented, they, they can have other fluids? Would that Yes. Yes, if, if, those, uh, if that choice has been made, that documentation has been put in place. Um, and, you know, we, we would do things like you know, make sure they're sat upright, make sure maybe they take single sips, maybe it might even be they're fed by teaspoon. There's a number of things that staff may then need to, um, to help them with to keep them as safe as we possibly can um, with everybody knowing that there is an increased risk from that choice. Mm. Is this something that perhaps um, you have, you know, you have been giving more staff training around? Um, because I guess with the shift now being about informed choice and quality of life, do you think that this also requires change from the staff in terms of how they approach um, fluids and um, food intake with, with the residents? Um, I, I do think it's a shift in um, people's thinking. Um, and I do think there's a lot of education that could be done um, going forward. Um, and I'm hoping that this is some, an area that people will be actually asking for more education on, to be honest with you. The standards have only just recently come in. Um, but I think there's, it's a lot, of, uh, a lot of discussion to be had around this area um, mm. and doing this well, mm. supporting these quality of uh, life choices well. And mm. I think that's actually very important, particularly. Um, in some of the degenerative conditions that we are working with. Mm. And when you do staff training, what sort of format do you do that in? Is that, um, you know, a few hours off the floor? How do you implement your practices with staff? Um, look, I basically work on whatever the facility would like. So that can be from um, a few minutes on the floor. It can be um, a workshop format. I would be quite happy to do something online. Um, it's whatever will work because I think, as you're aware, um, people often time poor mm. in RACFs. So it's a matter of making that education fit around a need. So mm. whatever their need is, whatever's going to work, then I think we as uh, educators in, in our role, whether it's psychology or physio or speech pathology, we have to work around what they want. Yeah. Uh, and it's really up to us to get creative as to how we're going to make that work. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it may be at a, a lunchtime while um, people are serving and I might be there saying, okay, well, how, how can we work this better? How does this work? And, or thick and fluid training. Usually um, I try and be on the floor. I try and make it practical. Um, I just am, I'm driven by what the need is. So yeah. There's no hard and fast answer to that question, Julie. Um, I am very happy to be flexible. Um, and I hope that there's other speech pathologists out there that are doing the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, definitely, if there's residents who have swallowing issues in a facility, there's certainly a role for speech pathologists across all aged care facilities. Um, well, I'm going to say yes, but then I would be very biased. Um, but I, I understand that obviously uh, there are constraints on um, people's budgets. But I, I, I do think it's a, it's a crucial a crucial part of aged care and ensuring quality for consumers. Absolutely. Um, is there anything more that you wanted to add, Jenny? Um, I could have my contact details. I'd be very happy for people to contact me if they had uh, queries or questions um, or were interested in, in, in further discussions. 
Um, I can be reached, reached on my email, which okay. is at forestspeechpath at bigpond.com. Fantastic. Uh, I'll share those details as well on, um, on, on, the, on the details of the podcast. So thank you so much, Jenny, for your time today. And I hope you continue to deliver such important service to um, all the people in residential care. Thank you, Julie. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Be sure to become a subscriber on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss out when I release the next episode. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. So leave a rating and review too. Over on my website, wisecare.com.au, you can find my free guide full of practical tips on supporting older people with cognitive impairment. Let's face it, sometimes it's the impaired memory aspect of supporting the age that feels the most challenging. And I want to give you practical strategies to deal with this. Go to wisekit.com.au for your free copy of this amazing resource. See you in the next episode.